Welcome to Law Technology Now with host Monica Bay, Editor-in-Chief of ALM's award-winning magazine, Law Technology News. Hear the latest about technology for the legal community. If it's tech, it's a topic right here. Hi, I'm Monica Bay, Editor-in-Chief of Law Technology News. Welcome to Law Technology Now. We have two wonderful guests for you today from Toronto, Canada. And after the Olympics, I'm like tempted to start breaking out in song because I want the mittens. David, I want you to send me the mittens. Is David Whalen, who uh, he will tell you about himself momentarily. And then we're going to, to fly south to New Orleans and talk with Tom O'Connor about a conference later this month that I will be participating in with a lot of well-known names from our LTN Editorial Advisory Board, and we'll tell you about the Green Law Matters conference that they are producing. Uh, David, why don't you start off by telling our listeners a little bit about yourself and what your current uh, job is? Sure. Uh, I am in Toronto, and uh, I don't have anything to do with our wonderful hockey wins at the Olympics. Um, But the Law Society of Upper Canada is my employer, and and it regulates lawyers, similar to a bar association or a Supreme Court in the United States. And my role is to run the law library for the province and also to work on records management, content management types of issues, uh, things that relate to our website for the Law Society. Well, and you're the perfect person to be with us today because our showcase on our April issue deals with content management um, in the context of risk and maximizing opportunities and productivity. And you were the author of one of our articles, which was called Rethink Open Source. And we're going to chat with you a little bit today about why open source actually might be a good option for uh, legal professionals. But first, I also want to tell our wonderful listeners that you have been a longtime and much appreciated member of the LTN Advisory Board. And you are one of our three judges for our annual awards. And I want you to know how much we all appreciate you for your fine work in that capacity. Thanks. So tell us a little bit about a topic that may surprise folks because so many of us have been ingrained to, to sort of equate open source with products made in a country that ends in Stan, you know, Afghanistan or, <laughs> or you know, some uh, uh, untrustworthy country filled with hackers with no slight bent to Afghanistan. <laughs> well, and I think even a few years ago, that might not have been an unfair um, view from a law firm, which is uh, a place where you've got to be worried about the bottom line. And you've got to be worried about your software and your systems working. Uh, And a lot of open source really was a guy in a garage or a basement or who knows where um, who had a great idea or thought they had a great idea and was willing to share the source code, which is why it's open source, um, the sort of the the information about the application with others. And so some of those projects really were just one-offs where a person had an idea and they put it up on the web and it was open source, which means... Uh, essentially, it's free to download and then to use and customize. Um, but it really wasn't a place where if you were running a business, you wanted to hang your hat. What we've seen, though, is that over time, uh, and we've had leaders like Mozilla's Firefox web browser, um, open source applications have become bigger. They've become more popular. Uh, and certain applications have become so popular that they have a big developer base behind them. So, is that like Linux? I remember when several years ago, 
everybody was talking Linux, 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 and it developed a whole coterie of, of as you just put it, third-party development type of products. Is that still a good example of an open source, or is that too dated now? No, no. In fact, Linux, I think, is, is one of the real success stories. Um, what we can see when we look at law firms is that they are already adopting um, somewhere up, to, I think it was 20% in the uh, International Legal Technology Association survey last year, um, have adopted some form of Linux on their servers. So uh, Linux, Linux is a success story both on the server side, uh, and it's also becoming very successful on the desktop side, so it's a good alternative to Windows or to Macintosh. Uh, and you can buy it from companies like Dell. You can buy a laptop preloaded with uh, a, a flavor, a type of Linux called Ubuntu. Um, so there are lots of really good stories there. And, and, and as you say, there's a big developer community now that has grown up around Ubuntu and different flavors. There's another one called Mint, which I like the name. I've never actually used it. But uh, um, they've, all sorts of flavors of Linux are out there, and people are putting in, in their efforts. And then what we're now starting to see is not only is the community of, of technology-focused people, programmers and developers, those sorts of folks, but we're now starting to see um, commercial companies come on top of that. So uh, if you're running Linux in your law firm, um, instead of having to download it yourself and essentially be in a position where you're self-supporting, doing your own, own development or programming or fixing, uh, you can now license support from Canonical or from Red Hat. And they will provide the same sort of support for your operating system or your network server uh, that you would have gotten in the past from Microsoft or from Apple. So there are some great opportunities for the systems that you're running in, in your law firm. Give us some examples, if you would, David, of how, let's say, larger law firm environment might be using this um, in a way that is helping them either by saving money or increasing their productivity. How, how is it in play? If somebody was new to this, can you explain to them a little bit how a large firm might be using it? There are a number of ways, and, and I think one of the things to, to keep in mind is that open source is free to acquire. Uh, but it isn't free to maintain. And so when a large law firm looks at open source, they really have to go through the same process that they would do if they were considering a new uh, application from IBM or from Microsoft. Um, but the nice thing about open source is that, that acquisition is free. So in order to get in the door, you've immediately eliminated part of the costs for software in the big firms. And I think the open source piece of it can be a huge uh, cost savings, not only on the acquisition, but then going forward on the maintenance. And I know that from the IT side, maintenance uh, issues or maintenance uh, costs going forward can be a huge part of what makes it difficult to support or to uh, um, buy more technology, because you've got that ongoing cost that you've got to pay in order to, to keep it going. So open source can help you to manage that or, or eliminate uh, some of that uh, support cost. At the same time, you can be uh, getting help from external groups like Canonical or, or uh, providers, consultants who support the uh, applications that you're using. Uh, one of the ones I mentioned in my article is called Drupal, uh, and it's a content management, a web content management system. Um, so if I wanted to download Drupal in my law firm, I could do that for free, and I could play around with it, and I could have my IT folks work on it. Uh, and if we decided that that was something that we wanted to use, we could then license um, or get support from Acquia, which is a well-known Drupal provider, or uh, any of a number of consultants who support on Drupal. Um, and then we would be able to sort of take that next step so that we could have Acquia or our own staff support the technology and not really then worry about whether there's an, a third-party vendor we've got to pay or what our maintenance fees are going forward. I think another benefit of some of these open source products, and we talked about Ubuntu and Linux as operating systems, but when you look at technology like Drupal 
or like Alfresco, which is another content and document management system, um, you're not even tied to having to go into the Linux or the Unix world. If I'm a law firm and I'm already very heavy into Microsoft, but I wanted to find a niche application to do, say, document management, and document management obviously is an efficiency tool for law firms, uh, the more you can manage your work product, the more you can reuse that work product, the better off the firm is. Um, if I can then make the choice to go to something that's open source like Alfresco, then I can put that on my Windows servers, or I can put it on my Linux servers, or I can put it on, uh, if, if there are any, some OSX servers, uh, and, and really get the benefit both of open source and the low acquisition cost, as well as having the technology run within the standard environment for a big law firm. David, when we unfortunately have just a little bit longer to talk with you before we switch to Tom O'Connor. So my final question would be, what would you suggest to law firms in the context of, of we've been talking about document management or content management, might be the biggest surprise to a firm if they looked into using open source? I think the biggest surprise would be that the operating model for well-known open source products like Drupal, like Plone, uh, like Alfresco, is that you're no longer the person who's in charge of the software. If you download that software and use it yourself, uh, you can now reach out to many, many corporations who will provide you the same sort of service you would have gotten had you bought a commercial or a, a closed source uh, application. And I think that's the big difference. Well, we greatly thank you. We've been talking with David Whalen from Toronto, a longtime member of our uh, LTN Editorial Advisory Board. I wish we had more time, but perhaps we'll have you back for more. If someone wanted to reach you uh, to find out more about this or to contact you for some reason, how do they get a hold of you? Oh, the best way is to email me at dwhelan at lsuc.on.ca. Or you can Google me at the Great Library in Toronto. And you can read David's article in the April issue of Law Technology News. You'll be able to find it at www.lawtechnologynews.com. Thank you, David. Oh, it's great to be here, Monica. Legal Talk Network has been producing award-winning legal podcasts since 2005. Subscribe to our RSS feed and start downloading today. It's free. Don't miss out on the latest in new media marketing opportunities for your firm. Contact Deb Curran at 781-551-9960 and learn all about the Web 2.0 revolution. Someone's at the door. Don't answer it. Why not? I'm listening to Legal Talk Network podcasts to get my CLE credit in West Legal Ed Center. Oh, I need to do that too. Where do I find them? It's easy. Just go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and pick a program for CLE, click on it, and start listening. Or go to WestLegalEdCenter.com and choose from any of the Legal Talk Network programs available for CLE. Perfect. I'll do that right now. And we are back. I am Monica Bay, Editor-in-Chief of Law Technology News, and through the magic of radio... We are now in New Orleans with Tom O'Connor. We were just in Toronto with David Whalen, Tom, 
who sends us uh-huh. regards. And uh, David and Tom are both long-standing members of the LTN Editorial Advisory Board. In fact, we have what we call the Tom O'Connor Rule. When Tom is working for a vendor, he's off the board. And when he's not working for a vendor, he's on the board. And Tom, <laughs> you and another fixture in our community, Monty Lunn and his wonderful spouse, Kathleen Lunn, have uh, concocted a a program that's going to happen later this month called Green Legal Matters. I think I misspoke in the beginning of the show and called it Green Law Matters because we have a Green Law column in LTN, which you just wrote about the program. And so with no further ado, why don't you first tell the readers what you're doing in New Orleans and your institute, and then tell them what's up that's coming April 26th to 28th. Well, thanks. Uh, My organization, the Gulf Coast Legal Technology Center, continues to work with attorneys in both Louisiana and Mississippi uh, doing uh, monthly CLEs on technology. So we put on little mini tech shows to uh, help them get back on their feet, similar to the large one we uh, we did uh, shortly after Hurricane Katrina. Um, And then, of course, as building has really picked up in the uh, in the last year, uh, all along the Gulf. Uh, we decided to work with Monty and focus on doing a, a green law conference that would talk about a number of those issues, which we, as you've said, call the Green Legal Matters Conference. It will be held April 26th through the 28th uh, in New Orleans and will deal not just with legal issues, but uh, industry issues, architecture, estate issues, land planning, land use, all of the things that go around uh, green professional problems that are cropping up with building. Uh, And although it's being held in New Orleans, uh, we'll be having speakers from all around the country. Uh, Susan Doran, the general counsel at USGBC, the Green Building Council. Uh, Roberta Lang, the general counsel from Whole Foods. Uh, Steve Harmon from Cisco. Uh, So we're we're getting people to focus on national issues. revolving around uh, all of the the green matters that come into play when you're talking about building or, in our case, uh, rebuilding. Uh, So it's going to be an exciting contest. Yes. Tom, a a big emphasis of the conference is you referred to the USGBC and their LEADS program. For some folks who may not be familiar with this, can you spend a minute or two and tell us what, what that organization is and what their agenda is and how it's going to be covered at the conference. That's well great. Yeah, sure. It's a it's a it's a nonprofit that's designed to set standards in the green field as as with any uh, newly developing field whether it be uh, electronic discovery or or uh, green building, uh, the need for standards comes into play. And so the, the, the Green Building Council came up with what they called the LEED certification process, uh, where they run you through a, a fairly stringent uh, set of uh, seminars and, and then tests uh, to give you this LEED certification. There are, uh, uh, unfortunately, not a terribly high number of attorneys who have gotten that certification. Quite a few architects and planners and builders, uh, as you would expect, have gotten the certification. But uh, not a terribly high number of attorneys, and and only five or six in the entire state of Louisiana, unfortunately. Fortunately, however, one of them, Stan Milan, is at Jones-Walker here in town, and he'll be one of our featured speakers at the 
at the conference. The idea is to uh, present that sort of interface, if you will, between the architects and the builders and the attorneys so that they're all speaking from the same script when it comes to working uh, with green building, and everybody has a, a a uniform set of standards or references to to work from. So, now, my understanding doing... of my understanding of the lead conference of uh, the lead organization is they they come up with a uh, building uh, uh, awards for various levels of green um, involvement in a building or or compliance or or standards. But they also, as you mentioned, are actually certifying the individual practitioners. I, I know we did a story last year about Jeffrey Lask, um, who has attained that yes. uh, status. Yes. And it's great because it's, uh, from my perspective, I feel it's great because in in these days of of uh, you know growing government intervention and and professionalism, uh, this is a non government organization, uh, and so the profession itself, if you will, is helping to set these standards. And so what we've done is on, on our on our standard conference uh, set up for the first two days, uh, we will be running. Uh, a series of legal sessions side by side or on a concurrent track with um, building and planning sessions. Uh, Monica, you're going to help us moderate one of those sessions in which myself and George Socha and Andy Adkins from the University of Florida Law School will will talk about what, what all this really means, nuts and bolts, to pra- uh, practicing attorneys. Um, and then on the third day, they'll be offering this um, introduction to the LEED certification. What this is, for, for, for lack of a, a better analogy, is sort of the, uh, the LSAT prep exam. This is the course that will go through all of the information you need um, to take the LEED certification course. Um, and this intro course is required by the, the, uh, the USGBC to take the course. So uh, we're offering that uh, uh, as part of the uh, entire package of enrollment for the conference, or if there are people who don't have the time and just want to come down and uh, go through the, the, the first step of the LEED certification, we're offering that for $129 for just that segment. So it sounds like it sounds like you've got a good mix of programs that are going to help lawyers who are interested in this, uh, some broader programs, and I understand you're also going to have some uh, ancillary events, including a golf tournament, and if I remember correctly, some service opportunities to help uh, with some of the foundations in town. That that is correct. There there will be a golf tournament. I'm really not too much involved in that, not being a linkster myself. But of course, it'll be a beautiful time of year down here, and we have a number of uh, municipal golf courses, and including one that's on the professional tour. Uh, so for folks who do golf, it'll be a great opportunity. I'm very excited by a service opportunity. On the first day, there'll be an opportunity for any people who wish to, and we'll provide buses down to the lower ninth ward, the area that had the rooftop flooding that most people saw in all those uh, horrible uh, news reports post-Katrina. Uh, and we'll be working with Brad Pitt's Make It Right 9 Foundation um, to help with the building that those, uh, that's going on down in that in that area. I must say, I, I, I ride my motorcycle down through there every Sunday morning um, just to, to see how they're doing. And there's an enormous uh, amount of building going on in what has been a terribly devastated area. And so the opportunity to actually get your hands dirty uh, and help folks 
rebuild their homes and get back into their neighborhoods, to me, is one of the most exciting parts about this conference. Well, Tom, uh, you know that that New Orleans is a, a city near and dear to everyone at LTN and one that yes. LTN has pledged to continue to monitor the our legal tech community uh, down there. Uh, we went down there right after. In fact, we were there with you and yes. on um, Mardi Gras, the first Mardi Gras after Katrina hit, and we are continuing our pledge to be constantly vigilant and and shining a light on the activities, uh, and we'll do so uh, as long as I'm the editor of this publication. <laughs> well, we truly <laughs> and I'm really looking forward to being down there with, with you and everybody. And if someone was interested in attending, can you give us the um, uh, 411 on how they can find you on the website and register for the program? Easy. Just go to the uh, conference website, which is www.greenlegalmatters.com. There's a registration link right there, as well as contact information uh, for myself and for Monty Lunn. And and I do want to say thank you very much for your continued support. Uh, you personally, Monica, and all the folks uh, at LTN, the, the amount of uh, attention that you've continued to pay down here uh, with friends that... Uh, that we have in common, like Janine Silvis at uh, Stone Pigman and uh, Connie Nichols over at DocuSource. It's, it's been a, a great help to keep people focused on uh, the ongoing uh, repair and restoration that's occurring down here to, to get us back to, as, as uh, Art Neville told me one day when I ran into him at the airport, the, the eldest of the Neville brothers, where it's not going to be New Orleans anymore, it's going to be newer Orleans. And, and that's point. what you're helping us build. Well, I appreciate that. It's, it's, I feel I'm just doing a little bit, but anything I can do, I'm happy to do. And that's for all of us at LTN. Uh, thank you so much, Tom. I want to remind everybody that you are listening to Law Technology Now. You can find us at our website, www.lawtechnologynow.com or at our partner's website, the Legal Talk Network, which, of course, is www.legaltalknetwork.com, and because we are so cool and hip in the iTunes podcast library. Shout-outs <laughs> to Jill Winwer and uh, Luann Reeb, Scott Hess, Mike Hockman, Kate Kenny, Mike producer here in New York, the fabulous David Jasper, and to everybody on both sides of our New York and Boston teams. And with opening day coming up momentarily with Boston and New York, of course, our (laughs) sign-off is always, remember, there is no crying in baseball or technology. Thank you, and we'll see you in May. Law Technology Now is produced by the broadcast professionals at the Legal Talk Network. Thanks for listening. Join Monica Bay for next month's podcast on the technology issues affecting the legal profession today.